um, well, week before last, our discipleship lesson and the discipleship book. I don't know if we still have any more, but we had a distributed discipleship book that you can study from if we have any more. And uh, we can give um, those to anyone that don't have them. That will be great. But uh, whether you have the book or not, you can follow along with us in, in scripture reading and in the discussion of what we are doing here tonight. But we started talking about the gift of repentance we started talking about the gift of repentance, and so uh, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, that repentance is a gift. Repentance is a gift, and a lot of times we look at repentance as uh, a vehicle or such, but repentance is a gift from God, and we just don't wake up and just repent. It's not just just like that. I remember for years I was in church, and most people... You know, um, we kind of look at repentance as saying, oh, Father, forgive me for my sins. And and we feel like um, that was repentance. That was not repentance. You just uttered some words. Okay? Um, you know, that kind of prayer is like prayer knowing that you're wrong, but you don't plan to stop being wrong. That, that That's when you pray that way. When you say, Father, forgive me for my sins, all you're saying is, I know I'm wrong, Will you please forgive me? But you don't plan to stop being wrong. If you repent, you plan to stop being wrong. Now, have you repented and still um, go back to messing up again? Yes. Yes. But you will know. But many of us have just confessed that we're messing up and never really repented, which means um, we're still doing what we like to do, which is not pleasing to God. So we got to work on this repentance thing. So tonight uh, we're going to talk about space to repent space to repent that's that's what the um the theme will be tonight in our bible study here space to repent the, the big idea of space to re- repent is because we all battle with temptation and sin who don't battle with temptation and sin okay No hands went up, so you're being honest. Because we all battle with temptation and sin, God gives us the space to repent. So again, repentance is a gift, but God is the one that allows us the opportunity to receive that gift. So we need to make sure we understand that when we uh, are repenting, we're repenting to God because God is the one that we offend. It's God's law that we break. And so we must understand that. We're going to get into some scriptures tonight. We'll read Romans 2 and 4. We'll read Matthew 3, 1 through 2. We'll read Joshua 6, 16 through 19 and Joshua 7, 1 through 26. We will go through that slowly. I just want to let you know where we're going. So let's look at Romans chapter 2, verse number 4. Romans chapter 2, verse number 4. The scripture says, or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering. Here comes the punchline. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. Unfortunately, we take that the opposite way. We let the goodness of God make us continue to sin. God gave us his goodness in many instances so we will repent, 
But we have taken his goodness to say, oh, God is not too mad. He's cool with that, so I'll just keep on doing it. He's not that mad. He's, he's not happy with it, but he's not that mad. So the goodness of the Lord should lead us to repentance, but oftentimes the goodness of the Lord causes us to keep on doing what was wrong, what is wrong. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So before Jesus came on the scene to begin his ministry, John the Baptist, his forerunner, went ahead and began to preach the the, the preaching of repentance. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven is at hand. You know what's funny about this? I don't know. There is. You cannot be saved. By justifying. That your actions are not that bad. And I think that. We probably do it. And not even realize that we're doing it. And what do I mean by that? We continue in the ways that we're living and not seeking improvement because in our mind, it's not that bad. I see people doing worse than me. Oh, my goodness. That's such a travesty. As Christians, I see people doing worse than me. Remember, our salvation is predicated on Jesus Christ, not on the pastor, not on somebody that's been in church longer than you, not according to the person that you know that claimed to be a Christian, your salvation is not predicated on anyone but according to the word of God. So anytime we start making excuses and justification of why we do what we do and say, well, God understands or I'm not that bad off because others are doing worse, we're in serious trouble. Because what you don't realize when you say that, when you say that, you don't realize that that keeps you where you are. That's what it does. It keeps you where you are. And so in order to move forward, it's going to be difficult because you've already justified why you are where you are. The scripture focus tonight is going to, is, is an interesting one. It's, it's, it's something that we really need to get a good understanding of, right? Um, the Bible says the goodness of God. Work at repentance, the goodness of God. We typically would not think that blessings from God would lead us to repentance. But there's a powerful lesson here that we need to understand that the goodness of God should lead us to repentance. Now, it doesn't always lead us to repentance, but it should lead us to repentance. And so tonight we're going to dissect a particular passage of scriptures, a lot of scriptures in Joshua 6 and in 7 to let you see that God gives us a space to repent. The space is called the goodness because because I know me as a parent sometime when when the kids act up, there are sometimes when they act up that you just you just jump on them right away. No space. Oh, you just straighten them right out. They messed up. And so you just get right on their case. You don't want to hear no explanation. You don't want to hear any excuses. They messed up and you're going to jump right on them. 
Then there are other times where they do things and you might give them an opportunity to, 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 to see if they're going to correct it. So um, tonight's lesson is serious, it's deep, but it's also fun. Um, I think you'll find it very interesting and hopefully when we're done, you'll be able to say, I got it. I got it. Joshua chapter 6, verse number 16. Joshua chapter 6, verse number 16. For those of you who like to dig into the scriptures, we'll dig into the scriptures tonight. The scripture says in Joshua chapter 6, verse number 16. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priest blew with the trumpets... Joshua said unto the people, shout, for the Lord had given you the city. Key word there, the Lord had given you the city. The Lord had given you the city. You know what I find strange with the Lord? He gives you something, but you still have to do some work to get it. He gave them the city, but they still had work to do to actually possess the city. And so we can hold on to, that's a, that, that's what I call the ways of God. So that's something that you're learning right now, how God does things. So when God says, I give to you, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to have to do anything. It's just like, oh God, help us. It's just like the Holy Spirit. He says, I give you. It's a gift from me. But do you have to do something to get it? Sure, you got to do something to get it. You got to worship God. You got to praise him. You got to want it in order to receive it. But he says, I'm going to give it to you for free. You don't have to do anything. Yes, so you think. You got to do something. So God gives us stuff, but let us do something. He just don't plop it on you. He just don't hear. And you're like, oh, wow, okay. No, no, no. There's something about it. It it came with, with some work behind it. You had to do something. So the Lord said he would give them that city. Verse 17. And the city shall be accursed, even it. And all that are therein to the Lord. So what he's saying, that city that he has given to them, that city will be accursed. And all that is in that city will be accursed and it's for the Lord only. And it's for the Lord. So now he says, only Rahab, the harlot, prostitute. Hooker, whatever you want to call her. Only Rahab, the harlot, shall live. She and all that are with her in her house because she hid the messengers that we sent. God is so good. Rahab didn't know anything about God. Just the fringest things. But she knew that it is right to do right by men of God. And she had hid God's men when people were trying to destroy them. And because she did that, her whole family got saved. God said, because you hid my men, took care of my people, I'll take care of you. God's formula again. What did he tell Abraham? And I will bless them that bless you and curse them that. God don't change. So now you understand, if you're really trying to live for God the right way, now you understand. If I think you're a man of God or a woman of God, I want to do something good for you. Oh, come on, people. Yes, he tell me to love my brothers, love love my neighbors, but I'm learning God. And if he's going to bless them that bless the people of God and curse them. So 
I'm smart enough to know I'm not going to treat you bad and I'm not going to talk about you. But what I will do is be a blessing to you. Because when I'm blessing you, guess what? Come on. We got to learn this thing. We got to execute on these things. We got to do what the word of God is telling us. That if God says, if he's, if he saved a, a hooker. Because she decided, I'm going to take care of your people, God. He saved her and her family. Because she said, I'm going to take care of the men of God. So what if we take care of one another? Oh, we just got to follow how God is doing things. And we'll, if we'll follow it and do it, then we will experience some great things. Only Rahab, the harlot, shall live. She and all are with her in her house. Because she hid the messengers that were sent. 18. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing. Lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing. And make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. A curse, a curse, a curse. Verse 19, but all the silver and the gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. There's a lot there to unpack. The silver, the gold, and the brass vessel and iron were being used in the temple as sacrifice. So God said, those I want you to bring in my tabernacle. Everything else that is in that city will be burnt up and destroyed. They, they have no use. They are accursed. Now, if you dig deeper, what you will realize is, about to, about to hit you hard now, what you realize is, the reason why God said this city belongs to me is because God had told the Israelites, I am going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey called Canaan. This was the first part of Canaan. Oh, God is heavy. And the reason why he said all of it belongs to me is because the first tenth of anything you receive. That dude, man. Oh, that's all I know about that dude is consistent. He never changes and he's right on point. He gave them the city. Man, I don't know if I'm going to finish tonight. It's so much stuff to unpack. He gave them the city. He said, you have this city. He gave it to them. But yet and still he says, but I want it. Because what we don't realize about God he makes sure, even as God, he obeys the laws that he's already established. So he says it's mine, but since he said, yeah, it's yours. But since it's the first tenth of that land and the first 10 percent always come to me. It's a curse to everybody else. It belongs to me. So if you want to go to Malachi chapter three, verse 10. I'm not even going there. I'll let you go there. But what I'm trying to tell you is anything that belongs to God that you take, you curse.
So we get, if God said the first tenth of our increase belongs to him and we decide, go ahead and look at Malachi. That's where he talked about if you don't give the, t- the first tenth, then the, this, the palmer worm going to eat it, the, the, the canker worm going to eat it, and all this stuff is going to go on. So I'm here to tell you, your first tenth should always go to God. Look, look at how God operates. He says, I'm giving it to you. How do you think you earn your money? When you go to work and you work, how do you think you earn it? Okay, you went and you did the job. But where did your brain come from and where did the breath of life come from? So why are we acting like we got to hold on to our money the way we hold on to it? The breath came from God so you can have the breath and the energy to go to work. Right? And the mind that you have to perform the work came from God. And he's saying, I want the first ten. The job too. So it shouldn't be a big deal, but what the Lord is trying to teach us is, again, his ways, his principles. We need to learn God's principles because we struggle in walking with God and we struggle with the blessings flow in our life like it needs to. And we're wondering, is God not doing things the right way? Is he playing favoritism? What is God doing? And we question a lot of things because it don't work. And sometimes we cheat a little bit. And what I mean by that is I do my own thing instead of doing God thing because it looks like God thing is not working for me. Yes, that's that's why we cross over all the time. You look at yourself as a if you a bona fide Christian trying to do right. When you mess up, just look why you mess up. You just felt like God's stuff wasn't working, so you had to sneak over a little bit and uh, let me do my little thing because uh, God, your stuff not working. Is it because God's stuff not working because it can't work, or God told you something wrong? Why isn't it working? And we got to dig into that why it's not working. And most of the time it's not working because we didn't do it right. We just didn't do it right. Right? So all of these things that he's saying, the first tenth belonged to him. All these things that he's saying that when he talks about, you know, if you bless the people of God, God will bless you. These things have to work. They have to work. Give and it shall be given back unto you. All of these things work. Joshua chapter 7. So now we know what God said about the land. So now we're going to get into the story here in Joshua about that land. Chapter 7 verse number 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, or Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took up the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Whenever you take what belonged to God, he get upset. Why wouldn't he? Somebody take your stuff, you get upset too, right? <laughs> Verse number two. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon. On the east side of Bethel and spake unto them saying, go up and view the country. And the men went up and view Ai and they returned to Joshua and said unto him, let not all the people go up, but let, a, let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai and make not all the people to labor thither for they are but a few. 
So here's what's going on. God told him, you will get the land. It's yours. But of course, you got to go up there and get those people out of there. And so it's a few people up there. Joshua sent out his spies. He said, oh, we can overtake them real easy. No big deal. So just send a few people to go up there. and We'll just overtake them and we'll possess the land because God said this land is ours. That's where we are right now. So there went up there of the people about 3,000 men and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about 30 and six men, for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Sherebrim, and smote in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. That's funny. So you see what's going on. So God said, the land is going to be yours. They sent a few people up there to say, we'll just overtake these people, throw them out, and we'll take the land. Because God said, this is our land. And when they got up to the land, the people of the land chased them out. God, what's going on here? I thought we were supposed to possess the land. How, how can you tell us we're going to possess the land and we're getting chased out? Now let's see why. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening time. He and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. We are, you know, you know what he's saying. He said, Lord, how is it that you told us we would get this land and now we try to get it and these guys chased us? We might as well just would have stayed where we were because it's almost like you're playing games with us, Lord. That's Joshua. That, 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 that's what he's saying, right? Oh, Lord. Verse 8. Oh, Lord. What shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall invern us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? So here is another thing. Learn about God so you know how to approach him. When things are going wrong... You go to God this way. God, everything is going wrong. We're supposed to be your people. If we look like we don't know what we're doing, if we're getting overrun, what does that say about you? That, that's, that's, that's something that you need to learn about God. That, that you will be able to get God's attention that way. God will respond to us when we begin to... Uh, Brother Dibble alluded to this. I don't know if you caught it, but Brother Dibble alluded to this when he talked about the, the, the cry that turns the tide. What, what, what he alluded to a little bit that I'm not sure that if you caught is when you go to God and you humble yourself from this standpoint, we have no hope. We will not make it. We have no strength. We're not capable. We're not able. But we don't humble ourselves enough to go to God that way. We, we, we go to God and pray and we start telling God what to do. As opposed to saying, God, we're in distress. If you don't come and rescue us, we're going to be dead. If you don't show us a way out of this, we are stuck in this forever. How do we do? That's how we're supposed to approach God. 
But a lot of times we want to order God around like, you know, genie in a bottle. We can't order God around. We have to go to God and be who we are. We are nothing without him. And until we get to that point and can embrace that, just embrace it and just be like, I'm okay with it to say, God, I am nothing without you. I can do nothing without you because I got scripture that says I can do all things through Christ, through Christ's key word. So I can, I'm able to stand before God and say, God, I realize I'm weak. I have no strength. I can do nothing without you. So if you don't help in this situation, I'm doomed. We have to be able to be comfortable in approaching God that way. God, you're going to let him destroy us. I'm living for you. I'm telling everybody about your goodness. Now look at this situation. They're going to say, what kind of God am I serving? God will talk to you. And so that's kind of how Joshua went to him. Verse 11. Israel had sinned and they have also transgressed. This is the Lord's response. You'll get a response. It might not be the response you want to hear, but you're going to get a response from the Lord when you approach him the way that I just explained. So the Lord responded, Israel had sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken up the accursed thing and have also stolen and disassembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Mm. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies because they were a curse. Neither will I be with you anymore except you destroy the accursed from among you. So the Lord said, you, you, you have enabled and have, and have, and have taken the accursed. Again, what's the accursed? What belongs to God? You're taking something that belongs to God. And he says, you have taken the accursed thing and you've mingled it with your stuff and hidden it among your people. And I told you not to. I told you that up front. And so because of that, your enemy is overtaking you because you had no defense from me. Again, they were only good because God was with them. They were only defeating their enemies because God is with them. We have to take these lessons about God. We will only be able to stand and and overcome because God is with us or we're with God. But the minute we decide to just live the way we want to and do our own thing, we let the door open for the enemy to come in and do what he wants, what, whatever he wants to do to us. And God is saying, get yourself together. I'm not defending you right now because you have blatantly done what you want and you left yourself open for the enemy to come in for the taking. That's a principle that never stops. This is why we're talking about space to repent. Because repentance changed that in a second. Repentance changed that for a second. So if, if, if we've done things to allow the adversary to come in, repentance is how we, we, we fix the gap. Verse 13, up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing. It's like trying to cast out the devil and you a devil. Don't work. 
That doesn't work. So now you understand a little bit more what I'm saying. That's why God is saying to them, you're trying to do something that you, you're wrong, so you can't do something right. Until you make yourself right, you can't. So, oh, God, help me. Living wrong, everything you do is wrong in God's eye. Now, that's a big revelation. If you live in how you want, everything you do is wrong in the eyes of God. Mm, everyone right there. Yeah, because you're wrong. So if you want to be right, you got to get right with God. And what you do when you're right with God is right. So obeying God, because remember, Scripture says there's only one good but God. And we like to quote it, God is good all the time, all the time God is good. So if God is the only one that's good, are you good? So the only way we're going to be good is obeying God. That's when we're good. So whatever goodness we can ever show, it's not our own. We're only good because we're obeying God. Love your brothers and sisters. So if we do that, then now we're good because we're doing what God says. But if we never do what God says, everything we do is wrong. So a lot of times people have questions sometimes. Well, pastor, what do you think about this? And I, and I said, leave them alone because they're not living for God, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What do you think about, what difference does it make? If they're not living for God, it doesn't matter. But when they decide to live for God, when they repent of their sins, when they give their life to God, and now they're doing something wrong, then that's different. But as long as they're just living how they want to live their own life, whatever they're doing, doesn't matter. No sense of beating people up and saying, I can't believe them and why they're doing it. Doesn't matter. Because they're not living for God. But when they decide to live for God, now that changes the game. We can have discussion later on for some of these things because I know a lot going through your mind for a lot of stuff that I'm saying. (laughs) But I'm in the word. Verse 14. In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. And the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households. And the household which the Lord shall take shall come Man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire. He and all that he had because he had transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he had wrought folly in Israel. Somebody say, thank God for grace. They they was living in 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 the days of the law and what the law said, that's what was done. Thank God for grace that we can repent today and we don't have to get stoned. Verse 16, so Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes and the tribe of Judah was taken and brought the family of Judah and he took the family of um, Zarhites and brought the family of Zarhites man by man and Zabdi was taken and he brought his household Man by man, and Achan, and the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, and of the tribe of Judah was taken. Verse 19, and Joshua said unto Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, 
glory to God or glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession unto him. Just learn another truth. When you go before God and acknowledge you're wrong, you give glory to God. We're learning some things tonight. I hope you hold on to them and use them as principal things in your life, how you know how to conduct your life. When you acknowledge you're wrong before the Lord, you give glory to him. Because what you're saying is, this is what I did, Lord, and that was wrong, and I want to do what you want, Lord. It brings glory to the Lord. All right, let's keep it moving. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. Again, when you mess up, first responsibility is to the Lord. You sinned against God. I might have done you wrong, but my first responsibility, because he's the creator of the law. He's the one that says, love your brothers, love your neighbors. So when I don't do those things, I'm offending his law, not you or you, because you didn't make the law. So that's why it's so important, and that's why we're giving glory to him when we go before him and confess that we've done wrong. Verse 21, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran unto the tent. Hmm. And behold, it was hid in the tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of the gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burnt them his whole family and all his sheep with fire. And after they had stoned them with stones and they had raised over him a great heap of stone unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, wherefore the name of the place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. Can I tell you a few things that's going on there? Joshua acknowledged and confessed. But he got stoned anyway. His whole family died. So here's what happened. Joshua died, but he died right in the eyes of God. I mean, I'm sorry, Achan. Achan. Achan died, but he died righteously in the eyes of God. Why? Before he died, he confessed. So he made it right. So what he did was he made it right, but because God law had said... If you did such a thing by taking the accursed thing, you would be stoned and would be burned. That's what went down. Even though he died right. So when, when, when the day come and, and we're all, the, the dead in Christ rise, Achan will rise. He will go to heaven. But also, because he did that and they did that, 
the curse was lifted from the whole entire Israel and now their enemy couldn't stand before them and they was able to defeat their enemies and get into the land. So how God operated that whole thing, me and you might not like it. But here's a story. Achan and his family was saved. They just wasn't on this earth anymore. Israel was able to withstand their, their adversary and still went on to possess the land. And God is glorified. All of that went down. Me and you, you and I might say, what is that? That's God. Whether you like it, whether you don't, that's what God did. God did something where everybody was good. He was glorified. Nobody can say what kind of God you serve because Achan made it right before he left out of here, left out of here right. And the children of Israel was now equipped again and the hand of God was upon them again and they could march forward and get it done. Achan had positioned by God. Yes, ma'am. In the law, God, remember I, remember, remember I tell you about this, I told you about this some time ago, that when there's problems, we need to deal with the root and not deal with the symptoms. Because the symptoms is not the root. So every problem has a root cause. And the only way to stop it is take out the root. If you take it out, if you try to stop it any other way, it can still spring up in different ways. So the way the Bible dealt with stuff that's just really wrong is God says, destroy it, kill the root. So that's what they were doing. Because if, if, if they didn't do that, then it's the possibility that Achan's kids could have came and, and been deceptive and still go against the things of God and still curse the camp. And God says, nah, that's not how I roll. I, I kill it from the root so it have no way of ever doing that again. Good question. Thanks for asking that. Achan had been positioned by God to receive the greatest blessing of his life. The promised land, because that's what God had promised him, the promised land. He would be living in a house he did not have to build and eating from crops he did not have to plant. How appealing this should have been to someone coming out of the wilderness. The whole time Israel was marching around the wall of Jericho, Achan could not get his mind off of what he thought he had coming to him. At the first opportunity, he reached for the spoils of Israel conquests, a bounty God had reserved for himself. So Achan had coveted, he wanted the gold and the silver and the iron and the brass. He wanted all of the good stuff that came out of the camp that they was taking over. Unfortunately, God had said up front, nobody gets any from this go around. And usually when you spoil a, a town, a city, Usually the spoils belong to you. Whatever you get after you, usually it belongs to, uh, uh, you know, whoever took them over, but not the first go around, not the first tenth of it. And so that's where God had drew the line. The first tenth is mine. And after that, whatever you take, it you can share it among yourselves. Achan's impatience would not let him feel blessed and humbled by what God had in store for him and his family. He saw 
he coveted, he took, and he hid. Amazingly, the blessing of God actually became a curse to him. The blessing of God became a curse to him. Jesus told a parable of a certain rich man who received good things and a beggar named Lazarus who had laid at the rich man's gate who received bad things. In this parable, they both died. Instantly, the curtains opened in eternity. And we saw the rich man tormented in hell and Lazarus comforted in Abraham's bosom. Good things did not make the rich man good. And bad things did not make Lazarus bad. But it can happen. A pastor once asked a man struggling with temptation what the circumstances typically were when he would succumb to temptation. Watch the pattern of what caused you to mess up, to do wrong. Watch your pattern and see. So the pastor asked the man, how do you think you normally, what normally goes on right before you mess up? And so the man was able to start to think about it and start to trace his steps. The man replied that he would give into temptation when everything in his life was good. When life was good, he would give into temptation. He felt most vulnerable to sin when he was on top of the world. Now, well, let me go on and say this. This also is atypical of others who fail God when times are tough, which is when they fail God. So you have some of us that we fail God when things are great in our life because life is so good that we're just enjoying the goodness of life. Then you have others when things are bad, we feel like we have to do something to make it good, so we feel God. Which one are you? When do you mess up? When you're on top of the world or when things are bad? Good things do not usually motivate carnal humans to demonstrate repentance before God. We are so, when, when we're not in tune with God... When God is showing us goodness because we messed up, somehow we miss it. Oh, hey, uh, 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 God just being merciful. So we think God is being merciful, and so we don't respond that God is being good to us, and we have done wrong, and we need to reconcile that and do right. We just think, oh, God is being merciful, and we just keep on going the wrong way. But that's because we're not spiritual, because when you're spiritual... And you have done wrong. And God gives you that, that, that space, show you goodness. You know, I, I got to get this together. In fact, blessing can blind us to our need for God. Jesus said in Matthew nineteen twenty four, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, God didn't say a rich man can't enter the kingdom of God. He didn't say that. He said it's hard for a rich man 
to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because when you're sitting on top of the world, man, you know that song, sitting on top of the world? When you're sitting on top of the world, you're not thinking too much about anything. And it's not until things go crazy that you realize, oh, man, I have done some things that's not working right. I have done wrong. I have, um, uh, you know, done things that are not pleasing unto God. So it's hard for a rich man because, or a rich woman because richness, it brings opportunity your way. So it becomes a distraction. You're trying to live for God and you're rich. It's not because it's wrong. God don't want you to be poor. He will work with us and deal with us according to where we're strong and weak at. So it's not God's will that you're poor. But if every time he gives you something, you don't come to church, guess what? You're going to be poor. <laughs> you know, if every time God blesses you and, and you get a new car, you know, God sees to that you get a nice car and the payments are real low. And guess what? All you want to do is drive your new car and put the sunroof back and just play your nice tunes and just chill. If all you want to do is that when you get your new car and then by the time you reach on like, oh, snap, tonight was Thursday. I miss Bible study tonight. Oh, yeah, because you took your drive down to Philadelphia. You went on Penn's Landing. You know, car was nice and clean. God blessed you with it. And all of a sudden, you total it. And then you don't have enough money put down to get a nice one like that again. And then you come to the altar Sunday. <laughs> I'm just telling you how we, that's who we are. That's who we are as a people. And God is by sitting in heaven like, those kids down there, man, I'll tell you about them. He, he's just shaking his head and smiling. Because he knows how to pull our chain, but he's trying to get us to operate the way we need to operate, which is let him bless you and you don't, you don't, you don't abandon him. Let him bless you. Let him give you what you desire. Let him provide for you what you desire. Let him give you the big house. Let him give you the nice car. Let him give you money that you just feel comfortable with and you still know he's the center of your life. That's what he wants. Do you think he want to keep good? He said, God, he doesn't want to withhold any good thing from you. He wants you to have it all. The problem is you got to ask yourself, if you give me all, what's going to happen to me? And, and, and if you want to be a real Christian and you know your weakness, you say, Lord, don't give me all because I know I'm just not good. I'd rather go to heaven than to have all the stuff on earth and miss heaven. So if you know you and you can't get it together when you get stuff from God, just say, God, just give me just what I need. <laughs> just give me what I need, because if you give me more than that, I am going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. When we take credit for all the good things of life we enjoy, this will not only blind us to our desperate need of God, but it will lead us down the path of what we call apostasy, which is a, a falling away, a separation from God. When you hear the word apostasy, it means a falling away from, from God. And so when, when we don't appreciate God and his goodness, then when we get stuff, it's going to cause us to fall away from God. There are people who cannot seem to live for God unless times are tough. Yet others cannot seem to get their act together spiritually unless everything is good. So you got some people, God got to let tough times keep rolling in their life because that's what keeps them coming to church. That's what keeps them on their knees. You won't pray unless things are rough and tough. 
You won't see God unless things are just crazy going on and you need God so you stay on your knees. So God just say, you know what? I love you so much and I want you to go to heaven. I'll just allow a lot of bad stuff to keep on happening so you can keep praying. But you chose that. You got to ask yourself what you need to do to adjust so you don't have to live that way because God wants you saved more than anything else. God wants to have real relationship with you more than anything else. So whatever it takes, that's what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good things do not make us good and bad things do not make us bad. Neither do good things necessarily make us bad, nor do we need bad things to happen to us. We don't need things to work that way. We don't need to. If you feel like, again, examine yourself. If you feel like it's only when things are really stressful and when things are challenging that you pray more, then you have to stop and say, why is that? going on in my life, where only when things are really challenging and hard, I begin to pray. Because that's not what God wants. Listen, we don't want relationship with anyone just for the, you know, only when a certain time frame they want to be with us and then other time they don't want to be with us. If I'm in a good relationship, be with me when it's good and be with me when it's bad. And that's what God wants us to know. If you're going to be in right relationship with God, whether it's good or bad in your life, you're supposed to have the same relationship with God. You're not supposed to let bad times drive you closer to God and good times drive you away from God and vice versa. We're supposed to have a good relationship with him no matter what. That's what he wants. Oh, yeah. Paul addressed this issue when he said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a base and how to be abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And so we have to live that life of just balance. That's a key word. When you think about yourself as a Christian, balance should be a key word to you. Don't get too up. Don't get too down. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Balance is where you need to live if you're going to be a Christian. You can't be doing too much of this and too much of that. I worry about, listen, (laughs) I worry about people, and I've seen it before, people that they get so saved that everything, the devil is a lie, and they they spiritual and everything like that. And before you know it, they're not in God and you're wondering what happened to them. They was over the top. They was be, trying to be something that they weren't. So you don't want to be that, but you want to be spiritual. You want to be godly. And then you don't want to talk about, I don't care what nobody say. I'm saved, sanctified, and Holy Ghost filled, but you're living like a devil. You don't want to do that either. You see what I'm saying? We have to be balanced in how we live for God. And if we live for God balanced, then we won't have to worry about all of these things. Is it good for me? Is it bad? Some people, you only want to deal with them when things are going good. Because when things are going bad, they got such bad attitude, you don't want to be around them. (laughs) When we are in right place with God, His goodness, it's one of your words, I don't know if you wrote it in, should have a humbling effect upon us. This will always be the case if we have a thankful disposition. Paul wrote to Timothy that in the last days, many would become unthankful. Immediately after that, he added that many would also become unholy. When we become unthankful, we are only one step away from becoming unholy. An unthankful heart does not recognize that every good gift 
and every perfect gift is from above. When you're unthankful, that's, you never think about God. Unthankfulness is usually accompanied by an entitlement mentality. Big word. Not just in spelling. Big word. Entitlement. Let's just start with this. As a parent, we have to teach our children to be grateful and thankful. If we don't teach them to be grateful and thankful, they will become entitled. And when you become entitled, it's hard to live for God. Because when you become entitled, you think stuff is supposed to be done for you. You, you don't think you need to earn anything. You don't think you need to do anything. Sometimes that's why we don't receive the Holy Ghost. Because we just think it's, it's, it's rightfully supposed to happen. And in God's eye, God is saying we have to be thankful for everything. Because it came from Him. You didn't do it on your own. You didn't conjure up. You didn't work some kind of potion. And now this is what's happening in your life. You got to be thankful. If you are not thankful, you will become entitled. Unthankful people have been spoiled into believing life and everyone around them owes them something. God owes us nothing, but he gives us everything. God owes us nothing, but he gives us everything. He strategically mentioned the goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering of God towards us. When we stop to reflect on what we deserve, judgment, and what we actually receive from God, mercy, this should result in repentance and humility before God. We deserve judgment, but God gives us mercy. I am closing right now with this story. I love this story. There was a family who lived in a house directly behind the local apostolic church. There were eight children in this household, and they were being raised by a father and a mother who conducted weekly family devotions, taught their children to pray, read to them the word of God, encouraged each one to play an instrument, and gather everyone around the piano to sing together in harmony. Despite nearly perfect home life, one of the brothers decided he was going to run away. He had been disciplined by his father for misbehaving. Maybe this was the punishment that pushed him over the edge of what he had been thinking about for some time. After all, he was 15 years old and was tired of being treated like a child, having to do chores, following rules, and doing what he was told. So one evening after dinner, he marched himself into the kitchen where his mother was washing dishes and announced he was going to be leaving the home. This, to, to, to his surprise... Listen, I love old school people. This is good. To his surprise, his mother said, okay. <laughs> well, if that's the way you want it, son, oh, let's go upstairs into your bedroom and pack your suitcase. He wasn't expecting a response like that and was rather taken aback. He quickly recovered his composure, however, and followed his mother upstairs where she got down on her knees, reached under his bed, and pulled out a cardboard suitcase. I've never heard that before. <laughs> she placed it on his bed and began going through his dresser and carefully packing his clothes. 
While she busily arranged his suitcase, she said, Now, son, it's fine if you want to run away from home, but I think there are a few things you need to think about before you leave. Oh, that's right, he replied. Yes, son, you need to look around this bedroom of yours. This is where you and your brothers sleep every night where you do your homework, talk about events of the day, wrestle, play fight, games, and just have a good time. This is where your dad used to come in at the, at, at the close of the day when, when, when you're small to tuck you in bed and tell you a bedtime story and lay his hands on your head and pray over you. While he taught on, while he thought, the son thought on those things for a moment, she quickly added, so just take a good look around, son, because since you're running away, this may be the last time you ever see this bedroom. With that, she buttoned the latches of his cardboard suitcase and shoved its handle into his open hand. She opened, she, she walked out of the room while, mon- while motioning, come this way with her hand to follow her downstairs. As they walk into the living room, she said, now this is where we have family devotions, where your father read the scriptures every Saturday morning, right after breakfast, and then lead us all in prayer. This is where we gather around the piano, you and all your brothers and sisters, and sing together in the beautiful, in beautiful harmony. Sometimes you kids play your instruments. We have the best time right here singing and playing, worshiping God together, and just enjoying the wonderful family time. At Christmas time, this is where we line all ten of our dining room chairs back to back and place presents on each chair for each one of you. After you children place present on dad's chair and my chair, we cover them all up with a large white sheet. On Christmas morning, it is so much fun to see you children come into the living room all excited about uncovering your chairs and and discovering the presents. However, before we do that, Dad always read the Christmas story from Luke 2 and then lead us in prayer as we thank God for the real reason for Christmas. His coming to this world to save us and then we open our presents. So take a good look around this living room, son, because if you are running away from this home, this probably will be the last time you will ever see this living room. With that, she gently placed her hand on his shoulder and ushered him into the kitchen. Now, son, this is where I fix your breakfast for you every morning. Your whole life you have awakened to the smell of frying bacon eggs, toast, and perkin coffee. This is where you have our dinner. This is where we have our dinners while we talk about school, your teachers, dad's day at work, and all the neighborhood news. This is where we enjoy table games and where you learn how to play Monopoly and chess with your brothers and sisters. This back door right here is where I am usually waiting for you to come home from school every day, and I welcome you with a hug and a kiss, even though I can tell you don't always like it. But I want you to take a good look around this kitchen, because if you're leaving home, this is probably the last you will ever see it. 
The young man was bewildered. Why wasn't she stopping him? Why was she giving him this grand tour and telling him everything he already knew? Why wasn't she trying to talk him out of running away? What kind of mother was she anyway? Now, he's turning this on her. What kind of mother is she? You're running away, dude. But somehow the table turned. He's blaming his mom now. But that's how we do. You know how we do when we're doing wrong. What kind of mother was she anyway? Any sensible mother would have crumbled to pieces at the kitchen table with her handkerchief to her face. She should be sobbing about the horrible mistake he was making wailing about how much she was going to miss him and telling him of all the trouble he was going to get into without his family there to protect him. She was the picture of calm as she gently took him by the shoulders, pulled him close, gave him a peck on the cheek. She told him she loved him and with that she let him out the back door and watched as he stumbled down the back steps lugging his bulky suitcase. He turned to look at his to look at her as she stood in the door. While he stared in disbelief, she smiled, waved at the back door. He spent the remainder of the daylight loitering around the neighborhood, but somehow he lost his nerve about running away. He hadn't really thought about all the good things at home and how safe and secure he always felt there. He hadn't really taken into consideration all the good times he would miss and the fun family times that they had. As he resolved to to strike out on his own weekend with each passing minute, he began seriously reconsidering his his rash decision. He couldn't just turn right back around and go home without at least spending one night out on his own. So he spotted a hole under a raised porch of the neighbors down the street and crawled in to spend the night. It wasn't long before the neighborhood's dog joined him under the porch for the night. Early the next morning, there was a knock on the door. The mother, who had spent all night praying for her son, was right there to immediately open the door. His face was soiled and his clothes were rumpled, but there was a slight smile on his face as he smelled bacon frying and coffee perkin. Mom, I changed my, that's repentance. Can I come back home? Why, yes, son. It's so good to see you back so soon. What changed your mind? Well, mom, I really got to thinking about all the good times, good food, good family I was leaving behind, and it just made me want to get humble, admit I was wrong for wanting to leave and come back home. That's a picture of how God do us. We always want God to jump in and stop us. No, 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 don't do that. And all God is doing is just giving you a space. For you to repent. 
for you to say, my bad. For you to say, I made a mistake. For you to say, I know I'm wrong. Because when you come to the understanding of knowing you're wrong, that's when movement and change will happen. But if the pastor got to tell you you're wrong, if mom got to tell you you're wrong, even if God got to tell you you're wrong, a lot of times you don't listen to that. But when you come to the understanding, remember the prodigal son? And he came to himself. Remember Peter? And Peter, when, when the cock crew three times, it hit him hard. That's when he realized he had sinned. We have to come to the realization and how God does that. He allowed goodness to keep flowing so we will one day come to our senses that we need to do right. Let's thank God for his goodness. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy. Lord, help us to understand all of these principles we talked about tonight. Help us, Lord God, to become doers of all that we heard from the word of the Lord tonight. I pray that we can become doers of the word of God, that we learn how to repent, that we take full advantage of that space to repent and not think it's the carte blanche to keep on doing wrong. I pray that every heart will receive what was spoken into their hearing and that, God, we will become who you have called us to become from before the foundation of the world. Bless us as we go tonight. Keep us, Lord God, until we come back together again. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all these things we ask you in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for your time. Have a great evening.